0: the money for? I was thinking guns. I was thinking IRA. I need that money, Tom. Why? So other eight-year-olds can watch their father's gun down in front of them. This is Foreign Agent, and my name is Nate Levy. We've been telling the story of Irish Northern Aid, the American support group for the IRA. And over the years, there have been a handful of depictions of norade in television shows and in movies. In this bonus episode, we're gonna look at a few of them. Most are bad, really laughably bad. The clip you just heard is from the 1997 film, The Devil's Own, which starred Harrison Ford as a New York City cop and Brad Pitt as an IRA gun smuggler. The production process was a total mess for everyone involved, and Brad Pitt even called it a piece of irresponsible filmmaking. But still, I think that there's something to be gleaned from looking at how Hollywood imagined the American side of the Troubles. We'll get back to The Devil's Zone later, but we're going to start with the NBC show, Columbo. Columbo's a favorite of mine. It was first on from 1971 to 1978 and starred Peter Falk, who I love. He plays this schlumpy L.A. homicide detective who wanders around in a rumpled trench coat. Each episode, he solves a murder by bumbling about until he cracks the case. The final episode of the seventh season is called The Conspirators. It opens with Clive Revel, who's a New Zealand actor. He's playing the character of Joe Devlin, who's a pretty colorful Irish writer. At a very early age, I decided to be my own master and the servant of no one. And that left two promising possibilities, either to be a king or a poet. (laughs) Now, as Ireland had a fill of kings, I clearly saw I had to educate myself to the way of words. So, I took to drink immediately, fell in love at every opportunity, and avoided the schoolroom like the plague. I advise you to do the same. He claims that he was in the IRA as a kid, and he's converted that into a minor celebrity in Los Angeles. Devlin is pretty clearly based on Brendan Behan, who was a real Irish writer and playwright. Behan came to New York in the 1960s, and he fell into the literary and nightlife scene. He was a pretty heavy drinker and was definitely known as a man about town. Like the character in this Columbo episode, he was also in the IRA as a kid. Apparently, he set off to England on his own to launch an unauthorized bombing attack. Before he could do it, he was caught and sent to a Borstal home, which is like a juvenile detention center. When he gets out, he starts writing about his experience, and this launches his literary career. Joe Devlin's character in Columbo has almost the exact same backstory. This is Devlin being interviewed on a LA radio show, promoting his newest book. I'm Carol Hemingway, my guest, Joe Devlin, poet, entertainer, autobiographer, rock tour, And infamous jailbird. <laughs> Joe, you're only 14. Fresh as a daisy, so was the dynamite. What were you gonna blow up? England. <laughs> Modest aim. all of it, why? Because it was there, and I was Irish. Anyway, we meet Joe Devlin at a book signing when he's approached by a tall stranger. Will you do me the honor, Mr. Devlin? All included in the price, mister. The name is Paulie, Vincent Paulie. As Devlin opens the cover, we see the phrase, ourselves alone, written on the inside. That phrase is one version of the translation of the Irish phrase, Sinn Féin, which is also the name of the Irish Republican political party. Perhaps we could have a drink sometime and discuss each other's work. I'd enjoy that. Sometime soon. It turns out that this stranger is a black market arms dealer named Vincent Polly, And he wants to sell some weapons to Devlin. They meet up later, and Devlin arranges to buy 500 guns. But Polly tries to shake him down by saying the guns will arrive late unless he pays an additional fee. I told you the 15th. My supplier advises me the 15th is not possible. The ship sails at 3 p.m. on the 15th. After that, your guns are useless. Now Devlin has to scramble to get the money early. We cut to a fundraiser at some palatial mansion, where the American Friends for Northern Ireland are holding a fundraiser. Joe Devlin is the honored guest, and he's banging away at a grand piano. The American Friends for Northern Ireland is, of course, a thinly veiled stand-in for Irish Northern aid. Now, typically, when we think of NoRAid, it tends to be based in these working-class communities on the East Coast of the United States, and maybe Chicago, too. But in the show, the American Friends for Northern Ireland are wealthy Angelinos. In the inner circle of the group, aren't boys from the Bronx, but instead this cabal of rich industrialists behind a shady group called O'Connell Industries. It's a significant choice, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Forty-five thousand? Two hundred this time. You should have been a businessman, Joe. and Live your life, not for all the wealth of O'Connell Industries. The people at the fundraiser are totally enraptured by Devlin, and they're led to believe that the money is going to help out orphans. And I wonder what our guests would say if they knew it was all going to buy guns. This was a classic attack line against Norid. It was often claimed that they were tricking people into giving money. But the truth is that most of the people who attended Norid fundraisers knew all about the connection to the provost. Some of them even insisted that their dollars go to buy weapons. Anyway, the deal with Polly goes bad, and Devlin kills him and leaves his body in a hotel room. We execute traitors, Mr. Pawley. Enter Columbo. who's was called in to investigate the murder. You see this, sir? He wrote these words. Ourselves alone. What do you think that means, sir? He bumbles around and, for reasons that don't really make sense, also starts hanging out with Devlin in Irish bars. Japan sends televisions. Ireland sends whiskey. Did you get her a nip? No, thank you very much, sir. It's been a terrific lunch, sir. It's been my pleasure, Lieutenant. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again, If you pull back a little, this is really ridiculous. You've got a Jewish actor, Peter Falk, playing an Italian detective, Columbo, who's investigating an Irish writer, Joe Devlin, who's played by a New Zealand actor, Clive Revel. In the end, of course, Columbo gets his man. Sinn Féin, Lieutenant. Ma'am? Sinn Féin, it's Gaelic for what's written in the front of your book. Mr. Devlin's book? Mm Mm-hmm. It's Gaelic for ourselves alone. It's the battle cry of the Irish rebellion. Ourselves alone? Is that what that means? That's what that's meant for 70 years. They're still shooting guns over there. Sinn Féin. He nails Devlin on the basis of a totally preposterous plot device involving whiskey bottles. In the final moments of the episode, Columbo scuttles the weapons shipment, and he and Devlin share a last drink and some mutual admiration. I guess it was just luck. Um, no, it's never just luck, lieutenants. Are you sure you won't join me, lieutenants? Well, maybe I will after all, sir. Now that we come this far. Brendan Behan was involved in his own gun smuggling plot. In New York around 1960, he met up with George Harrison and Liam Cotter. They're the Irish socialists who he spent some time with in episode four. They were the IRA's most reliable suppliers of American weapons, and they sent Bean home to Ireland with a small shipment of guns and ammunition in his suitcase. Cotter, Harrison, and Bean were not big fans of the IRA leadership at the time and sort of did this on their own. And when Bean got back to Dublin, he wanted someone from the IRA to come pick up the guns, which the leadership was angry about. He infamously said, quote, I got the stuff over 3,000 miles of water to them. If they couldn't get it another mile, well, fuck them. The final thing to say about this episode is that it's a pretty generous depiction of the Bean character and a pretty negative portrayal of Irish Northern aid. Devlin is cast as this sort of charismatic figure. Columbo obviously likes him. Whereas the Irish northern Aid stand in are these wealthy industrialists who are pulling the strings behind the scene and lying and misleading their donors. Overall, though, it has a pretty lighthearted feel. It's more of a caper than anything too serious. In Patriot Games, the 1992 film adaptation of the Tom Clancy novel, the atmosphere is a lot darker. Get me hostage rescue at Quantico now. <laughs> Harrison Ford plays the former CIA analyst, Jack Ryan. He's now working as a professor at the US Naval Academy. The movie opens in London, with Ryan presenting a boring paper about the future of Soviet Union naval strategy. In this volatile climate then, I must conclude that we can only speculate on the future of Soviet fleet development and deployment. I would like to thank the trustees of the Royal Naval Academy for the very kind invitation to be here with you today. After the lecture, he's walking around with his family, and a group of terrorists in balaclavas appear suddenly in front of them. Sit down! They're trying to kill the British Prime Minister of State for Northern Ireland, who's being driven around in a motorcade. Ryan is able to single handedly foil the attack, which we later learn was done by the dissident IRA group, the fictional Ulster Liberation Army. During the attack, Ryan kills two of the gunmen and is shot in the shoulder. He arrests the leader of the group, Sean Miller, who's played by the British actor, Sean Bean. Miller's brother is one of the terrorists killed in the attack, which becomes the driving narrative for the rest of the movie. Miller escapes custody and sets out for revenge with the help of the remaining members of the dissident cell. Why this tiny group is using all of their resources to kill some history professor in Maryland is never really spelled out. But back in the United States, Ryan is recovering, and getting back into domestic life with his wife and daughter. As they're making breakfast one morning, we catch a snippet from a television interview, which is on in the background. That the provisional wing of the IRA was behind this assassination attempt.: When the IRA carry out any form of campaign, they admit: to it. Thank you. That's the policy. That's supposed to be an interview with Patty O'Neill, who's the Sinn Fein representative in the United States. He's clearly supposed to be a cross between Michael Flannery, who was one of the founders of Irish Northern Aid, and Jerry Adams. What's interesting about O'Neill is that he's played by the actor Richard Harris. Harris was born in Limerick, Ireland, and was a vocal supporter of the Provost starting in the early 1970s. And he went farther than just verbal support. In 1975, he and his wife began appearing at Norit events, and went to at least one in Baltimore with the wife of Di O'Connell, one of the founders of the provisional IRA. Harris continued to support the IRA for the better part of a decade. He even defended the Harrods bombing in 1983. It caused significant civilian casualties in central London and was deeply controversial, even within the IRA. But by the time Patriot Games came out in 1982, he clearly had some sort of change of heart, because the depiction of the IRA and Sinn Féin and of Irish Northern aid is really ungenerous. Anyway, as the movie goes on, Miller and his crew come to the United States for vengeance, and they attack Ryan as he gets off work, and his daughter and his wife while they're out driving. There's a ridiculous scene where Sean Miller is hanging out the side of a van, spraying Ryan's wife's Porsche with bullets as they speed down the freeway. Ryan, of course, gets the better of his attacker. His wife is also fine, but his daughter is seriously injured. Understandably, Ryan is pretty angry, and he demands to be let back into the CIA, so he can hunt down Miller using the full might of the 1990s surveillance state. I am telling you, I want back in. He does a little fieldwork and tracks down Patty O'Neill, who's conveniently hanging out in an Irish bar. Ryan presses him for information about Miller. I want to know where Sean Miller and Kevin O'Donnell are. You want me to sell out my fellow Irishman There, is Is that why you came down here? I'll go home and call the TV stations, give them what they want. Let them take their cameras into my daughter's hospital room. Put it on the evening news. I don't give a shit whether you did it or not and neither will anyone else. But I will put such a stranglehold on your gun money, you'll be out in the street throwing rocks. I will fucking destroy you. I will make it my mission in life. Apparently this was enough of a threat because pretty soon O'Neill gives up a piece of information that leads Ryan to discover the location of the camp in North Africa where the dissidents have been hiding out. Ryan organizes a raid on the camp, which is carried out by the British Special Air Service, the UK Special Forces. In the middle of the night, they fly in helicopters and kill everyone. Targets have been neutralized. Except, of course, Miller and his crew, who had just left. This part is not so disconnected from reality. The SAS did have a history with the IRA. In 1998, undercover SAS members ambushed and killed three unarmed IRA volunteers in Gibraltar. The cold-blooded nature of the killings was extremely controversial and was eventually found to be a violation of the European Convention on Human Rights. After the SAS raid and Patriot Games, the rest of the film kicks into pretty classic action movie territory. Miller and his team attack Ryan's house, and Ryan and Miller end up fighting on a boat. Ryan kills him, the boat blows up, and Ryan makes it out alive. The movie was a hit, and it made $178 million, which was just a little less than the previous Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan blockbuster, The Hunt for the Red October. John McTiernan, who directed that film, claimed that he turned down the directing gig on Patriot Games because of its negative portrayal of the Irish. On the other hand, Harrison Ford clearly hadn't had enough of the IRA. A few years after Patriot Games, he signed up to do The Devil's Own, which came out in 1997. It was all lies, wasn't it? Everything you told us. The movie is mostly set in the United States and takes a couple of real life gun smuggling plots and adds in a fictional one. Brad Pitt plays Frankie McGuire, who's a member of the Provost. He's been sent to the United States to buy Stinger missiles to take down British helicopters. If we could take them out, they'd have to listen. I've been working on that. But it's gonna need you, Frankie. This also has some connection to reality. The IRA did want to get these types of missiles. We went over one case involving Stingers in another bonus episode. Anyway, Frankie McGuire arrives in New York and starts using the name Rory. At the airport, he's picked up by a judge who's an IRA sympathizer. The judge sets him up with a place to stay with an Irish-American family and a cover story that he's an apolitical immigrant trying to make it in construction. The head of the household is Tom O'Meara, who's played by Harrison Ford, He's a New York City beat cop with a heart of gold, and the two get along from the start. These houses, they're fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, they're pretty old. Some of them are from around the turn of the century. Our new ones are older than that. (laughs) Pretty soon, Frankie meets with the Irish mobster, Billy Burke, who promises to supply the missiles. When Frankie goes to meet Burke in the back of a bar, he tells the guard that he's from Irish Relief, which is again a veiled reference to Irish Northern aid. John's downstairs. Here to collect for Irish relief. I don't know what you're talking about. They set up a deal where Frankie will pay Burke for the Stinger missiles in six to eight weeks. And the rest of the film takes place during that time. Frankie goes back to the judge to get the cash. And we get to see another version of Norade. The judge is depicted as coming from sort of a wealthy, upper-class background. He throws a fancy party in his big Manhattan apartment. And again, we're being told that supporters of the IRA and by extension, Noraid, are wealthy and from the upper class, when in reality the vast majority of supporters of Irish Northern Aid came from working and middle-class backgrounds. It's almost like Hollywood doesn't really know how to account for the real Irish Northern Aid. For the plots to work, to make sense in simple terms of good and bad, they have to invert the class politics of the group. If the films had to account for thousands of Americans who supported the IRA's campaign, it would force their makers to truly reckon with why the armed struggle had such purchase in pockets of Irish America. By fictionally narrowing that support to a few wealthy donors at swanky cocktail parties, they obscure the fact that Norit's power was built through grassroots organizing in Irish-American communities all across the country. After the party at the judge's apartment, Frankie acquires and starts fixing up an old fishing boat Called the Voyager. Here it is. The Irish Republican Navy. Fuel. Why don't we just FedEx the damn gear home and be done with it? I mean, the two of us cross the Atlantic Ocean with a hold full of missiles just so as they can shoot our horses off as soon as we get over there. It's crazy. Uh, It's fucking mad. This whole subplot is taken from the Valhalla incident. That was the name of the fishing boat that Whitey Bulger, the Irish-American gangster from South Boston, used to send weapons back to Ireland. This was portrayed in another film, Black Mass, from 2015, which starred Johnny Depp as Bulger. John, do you know what I do to rats? It ain't ratting, Jimmy. It's an alliance. An alliance between me and the fucking FBI. Bulger had been interested and supportive of the IRA throughout the 1970s and 80s and sent money through NORAID. But apparently he was paid a visit by Joe Cahill, the Provo leader who's appeared throughout the series. Cahill convinced Bolger that he should do more than just send money, that he should actually send weapons. Joe, on oh my honor, I can promise that you will have the biggest weapons cache you ever laid your Irish eyes on. I have to tell you, that would be a rather large arsenal indeed. 160 assault rifles, 70,000 rounds of ammunition, explosives, everything. They packed it all up on this fishing trawler, the Valhalla, and sent it out to sea. It rendezvouses with an Irish fishing boat and transfers the weapons for the next leg of the journey to Ireland. But that boat was intercepted by the Irish Navy after British intelligence passed along a tip from a mole inside the IRA. But it turned out, Bolger had a rat in his own operation. He lures this guy to his house, tortures him, murders him, and then dumps his body in a pretty gruesome way. In any case, the rest of the Devil's Own Ends, as you might imagine. The deal for the missiles goes bad. Frankie ends up killing the mobster. Tom realizes that Frankie is from the IRA and tries to bring him in. The movie eventually ends in a shootout with Tom killing Frankie. not going back, Tom. Killing's got to stop Frankie. And you'll have to kill to stop it? Weirdly, both The Devil's Own and Patriot Games end with Harrison Ford killing the IRA guy on a boat. Hollywood had to work hard to drain out the political content and context of the time. There's very little attempt to depict the conflict in Northern Ireland. There is a shootout in Belfast and the Devil's Zone, but not really much else. When you look at them from a distance, it's pretty obvious that as time went on and the conflict hardened into a long war, sympathy for the IRA really dwindled. And that manifests in the Hollywood depictions of Irish Northern aid, even though they're usually in the background. But those depictions are interesting. Even if Irish Northern Aid is portrayed unsympathetically, they were still in the back of people's minds when they thought about the IRA and America. In a way, it shows that Norrie was successful in forcing the narrative around the Troubles to deal with the American dimension of the conflict. Hollywood had to reckon with it, even if they had to misrepresent the class politics of the group to do it. This podcast is called Foreign Agent. It was created by me, Nate Levy, and my co-producer, Michael McCann. It's distributed by Navara Media, and music is by Matt Huxley. Support independent journalism and set up a regular donation to Navarro Media from just £1 a month. A regular donation helps us to plan our future and be even more ambitious with our coverage of news, politics, culture and the really big ideas that you'll always find on our podcasts. So please consider joining us and become a regular supporter from just £1 a month by heading to navarromedia.com forward slash support.